If you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, I want to read this before we get into a few thoughts this morning. It says this in verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It was surveyed about five years ago of Christian people in Christian churches asking the question, do you believe the devil is real? And 63% of Christians says, no, he is not. It's just a terminology in the Bible that is used for evil, but the devil is not a real being. Can you imagine that he's able to trick us in such a way that convince us he's not real? Uh, That's masterful, by the way, um, that he's been able to do that. Um, But many times it's because certain things are maybe not taught or shared and so forth. I want you to realize this statement off the bat, and I think this is a good foundation for us to all start with, is when it comes to Christ... Our fight with God is over. I want to give you an understanding that when it comes to receiving Christ and who he is and what he has done on that cross, my fight, your fight with God is over. There's a verse in Romans chapter 5, it's not on the screen, it says that we were once enemies of God. You no longer, once you receive Christ, you're no longer an enemy of God. In fact, he invites you to be a friend And so you're no longer in a fight with God, which means this, you now have perfect peace between you and your father. Now, many of you don't feel that way. Can I get an amen? Many of you feel like, man, if you wake up groggy, something's wrong spiritually. It's like, if you don't have a smile on your face, man, something's wrong. God must be so disappointed or that you feel like God wants you to be here and you're where? (laughs) Somewhere over. Come here. Somewhere over here. And then you work your tail off. I mean, you just have a good couple weeks and you feel like you make progress and you still don't feel like you're where God wants you to be. So there's always this glaring gap of unrest and uneasiness between you and the Father. You screw up and sin or you lash out to your kids or you say something that you shouldn't have said to your spouse. You begin to just feel overwhelmed with guilt, shame, and know that this thing is not right. I want you to understand this thing is only right. You and God are only right because of Christ. That's the only, only, only reason you, are, you and God are, are right or ever will be right. Amen. Amen. That's important to believe. But there's a new fight that happens when you receive Christ. And it's a fight with the enemy. It's, it's, it, you're awakened now to the reality that you are going this way. And hell is going to do everything to keep you from going this way. There's no advancement uh, or allowance for advancement when hell is against you. And it will convince you, you stop pursuing God and I will lay off of you. You stop teaching your kids right and I'll stop attacking them. You stop pronouncing and proclaiming the name of Jesus and I will stop pushing back against you. You stop doing this and then you can have all of this. You can have ease and comfort and pleasure and prosperity. And what happens is we start to just ease up a little bit because we're done with the fight. 
And I want you to realize or show you how to resist the enemy. Look at Romans chapter 5, and we're going to go back to this passage. It says, therefore, having been what? Justified means that when I stand in the courtroom of heaven, I have been declared innocent. So when Jesus or God now examines my life and he looks at the Lamb of God, he looks at the Lamb and goes, the Lamb satisfied my sins and the wrath toward my sins. Therefore, he can look at me and go, Justin is justified. And so because I'm justified, I'm justified by what? By my faith, not by the fact that I and Mr. Cool, and I prayed so much, and I just totally rocked it in my Christian walk. He said, no, having been justified by faith. It's a little too simple, isn't it? Justified by faith, he says, we now have peace. Many of you know that Greek word. That word peace means nothing missing and nothing broken between you and who? In God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I can rest assured as I live in this relationship with God, I can rest knowing that I no longer have to fight to maintain, or I no longer have to strive to maintain this relationship between me and God, but now I'm in a fight, and I, I use this word very carefully, I'm now in a fight to discover. I want to just let that linger for a little bit because I think it's a word that is so important. Is the word that I had before there is to protect, that I'm, I'm in a fight to protect all that God has given to me. But as I was just kind of thinking about it and looking at the scriptures, I realized, man, that's not my fight. The devil's not after my stuff. He's not after the things that God has promised me. He's after who I am. He's after who God is. And if he can keep me from discovering who God is to me and who I am to God, he can keep me always at a place of not being able to be an overcomer that I, I'm called to be. And so we're on this journey of discovery. So let's go back to um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. And it says these words, finally, my brethren, be what? He said, be strong where? Be strong in the Lord. How many have ever tried to do this on your own strength? That's a laugh of recognition, I'm sure. Uh, myself included, where you just try to fight certain battles on your own. If you have a, sp a spousal battle, you try to fight that in your own strength. Financial pressure, you fight that with your own strength. Um, it's a constant letting go of, you know what, I can't do this on my own. God, I need your grace that is sufficient to provide for me. And so he says, hey, finally, my brother, and out of everything I've said in Ephesians chapter 1 through 5, all the way to the end, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I really want to encourage you, the way that you do that is to receive. I know I sound like a broken record every single week when I use that word receive and that word rest, but at the end of the day, you have to receive his power. You have to thank God, Father, I can't do this on my own strength, but I can do it because I can receive from you. And I receive your power to overcome in this situation. I receive your power to live like Christ in this particular situation. And Father, I just receive the strength that only comes from being in your presence. Why? In your presence is fullness of and joy of the Lord is your. So, Father, I thank you for the joy that only you can give. And then you begin to build up yourselves uh, by simply receiving from God. Now it, looks, now it says this. Now it places a responsibility on us. It says put on the whole armor of God. Don't just put on the shoes. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Okay, I want you to see this connection. If you don't put on, you will not be able. 
And this is what I see is the current is pushing believers off of who they are and who God is for them, and they're floundering. They're not sure how to fight. They're not sure how to overcome the addictions that they're facing. They're not sure how to love like Christ has called them to love. They're not sure how to walk in the new man that God has created all of you to be. And he says there's one missing element, put on an armor. It didn't say put pom-poms on to go cheer for somebody. It said put on what? An armor which tells you one thing. Get ready for a... So can you imagine somebody putting on armor or putting on a bulletproof vest and then somebody like attacks them and they're like surprised, like, whoa, whoa, what was that? I didn't sign up for this. Yes, it's coming your way no matter what. So put on something that will allow you to be able to what? Stand against the wiles or the schemes of who? The devil. So... Paul has given us an insight that the devil is going to attack. He's going to attack. He's going to come after us. And I'm going to show you where he attacks primarily. And it says this, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So what am I trying to discover? I'm discovering who I am. What's my identity? Who am I now that the spirit of God dwells on the inside of me? And what has God promised me? That's all I'm discovering. Every single day, my life is about discovery. It's not about growing. It's not about trying to become a better Christian. It's about discovering, God, who am I to you? And who are you? Oh, Lord, you're this. I believe that, Father. And because you're this, you promised this to my life. I received that promise. And now I'm discovering that all these things are true because the enemy is also introducing you to something. And he works in three facets. Deception. He works in falsely accusing, and he works in slandering. Okay, so the enemy's coming, and he's coming to attack us. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against. So something's against all of us from making advancements in what God has called us all to do. And the enemy has three facets. That word devil, actually, in the Greek, it gives a picture of somebody who has a ball, and you can understand this when you have kids in a car in a long trip, and they just bounce it off a wall over and over and over and over. That's what the word uh, devil means in the Greek. It's a picture of one who does not stop. He does not stop because he has one goal to what? Wear you out. And if he can wear you out to where you go, you know what? I just can't do it anymore. I just can't stand anymore. I just don't know why it's taking so long. He knows, okay, I got him. Because he does not have the ability to read your, but he can listen to your. And so it says this, there's something against us. And so he is first and primarily a deceiver. He comes to deceive us. He comes to slander us. And he comes to falsely accuse us. Now, what's a false accusation? It can be this. Something that is true about you or your past, but it's no longer true in light of what Jesus did for you. Are you following me? So when he accuses us, he's not making up something. He's actually bringing to light something that Jesus already covered on the cross 2,000 years ago. But when he brings it up to us, guess what we do? We start to believe what he's telling us. 
and we start to get convinced, yeah, you know, there's no way God can be happy with me. There's no way God could use me. There's no way that God is happy with how I'm living my life. There's no way that God's not disappointed with me. There's no way that, my, that God could love my <laughs> spouse or whomever we're having our trouble with. And so what he's doing is he's now beginning to deceive us and get us to a point where we're no longer discovering who God is for us and who we are to God. We're now discovering the realities of who we used to be and we're buying into that. Are you following me so far? And he will do it over and over and over and over and over again until we learn how to resist him. Jesus showed us clearly how to do it when he was in the wilderness, and we're not going to get there just yet. I think we'll probably spend some time there next week. But Satan is a deceiver, a false accuser, and a slanderer. Some things I think it's important to understand about the enemy is that he was originally created to be what? An angel. He was a fallen angel, and he chose to rebel, and now he is the God of where? Okay, now that is, that's important to understand as believers, who is the God of this world? Satan. It's in 1 John chapter 5. He is the God of this world. So that means he is ruling, and he's ruling through who? The sons of disobedience on this earth. He has a work he is trying to do, and we're going to see exactly what that is in just a moment. But Satan has limitations. He can't be everywhere at once. He can't force you against your own will. And he can't get you to do something that you know you don't have to do. He can't get you to believe something unless you receive it. He can't read your mind unless you tell him what you're thinking. He doesn't know how you're feeling. There's limitations to the enemy and what he's trying to do. Another thing about the enemy, and this is a great, great thing, is that he has been defeated. So he, the God of this world, has been what? Defeated. He's already lost. He knows that. But sometimes we don't believe that. Like we believe we're still battling for victory in some area that Satan has already been defeated of and you've already been set free in. And we're still trying to get something. And I remember sharing with you uh, probably last year where I feel like I saw prison doors. Jesus took off the lock. He threw it away. He told us we're free, but we just are begging God to get us out. And I can hear Jesus just saying, just open the door. I set you free. And then the moment we get out of our seat and start to believe it, and we start walking toward that door, the enemy goes, what did you do to deserve to be free? You're not free. Why would you, if you're free, why are you feeling that way? If you're free, why are you thinking those thoughts? If you're free, then how are you still struggling with what you're going through? And we go, you know what? That's a, that's a great point. Great point. And we sit back in the cell and we start to pray, God set us God, get me out of here. God, set me free from this and this and this and this, no matter what it is. And Jesus, as loud as he can, is just saying the door is, it's open. There's no more lock. You have been set free. I conquered the grave. And he's just trying to get us to finally believe what is already true. And Satan is deceiving us. And then he accuses us and accuses us and accuses us to make sure you sit your butt back down into that prison and you don't come out until he says you can come out. I'm telling you, it's time to resist him. It's time to realize that you have all authority that has been given to you by Christ. Go and resist the enemy. Put him back in his place. Don't be scared of what he's going to do because he's a liar. He tries to think 
and intimidate all of us back into a place of just cowering from believing God. And that's why many times God will put it on your heart, man, you know what? I have this for you to do. And what do we do? No, not not me. Why? Because there's one who is a puppeteer behind everything that we're wrestling against principalities going, you could never do that. That's not God. God could never ask you to do that. Why? Because you don't have the capability. You don't have the personality. You don't have this. You could never do that. And so he provokes in us what? A resistance to what God says. Wait, wait, wait. If I called you to do something, I'll give you the grace to do it. I'll be with you every single step of the way. I won't let you fail. All you have to do is just trust me and follow me every step of the way, and I will lead you to places that you never thought were possible. And then the enemy just keeps on coming and goes, but what if he doesn't come through? What if he rejects you? What if you, what if you mess up and he doesn't want to use you anymore? Why do you think he would still use you after everything you've been through and everything you've done? And he starts to get us back to retreat into a place of comfort. Another thought that I wanted to share about the enemy is that he is at work today. We see it all around in our world. He is at work, and he wants to make his work appear bigger than what God's doing. And that's why many believers are so discouraged about what the enemy's doing and not encouraged by what God's doing. Because he has it on this megaphone saying, hey, I want you to see how evil it is and how evil the world is. And look, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And God's just saying, I'm working. I'm working, and there's people that, you know, what, you know why it's hard to see what God's working? Because he's working through people who are not perfect. He's working through every single one of us who still deal with some problems and deal with some issues and deal with some things, but he's working. And I get to hear it all the time, and the thing that blesses me most out of every single story that I hear from uh, each and every one of you, and we're going to hear it from Mike this, uh, uh, after I, I minister, is none of you are at the end. None of you got it all going on. None of you know that, man, I just accomplished everything that God has for me. No, you're in a process. And my wife just shared a post this morning just about grieving, that she's understanding that this is not a destination we're trying to get to where you're just done. It is a process that God has taken you, and it's okay to be along that process because God is what? He's working. And sometimes the enemy is so convincing that he's saying, oh, if God's working, then why are you still? Because that's how he works. And that's what he's doing. He's showing people the world is glory that he's working inside of my life and I'm still not perfect and he still uses me. He still allows me to get up here and minister to you guys because that's what he's called me to do even though I don't have it all going on. Because God is working. And so the enemy has one key mission. This is, I want you to see this, an overarching mission that the enemy is on this earth. He's working to do what? To hinder God's work on this earth. Because otherwise God could at least or taken all of us when we got saved, right? But the reason he did not is because he now wants to use all of us or partner with all of us to do the work that he called to what? Advance his kingdom, to build his people up, to go and restore the places that are broken, to rebuild the places that have been torn down, to repair those things that have been torn apart. He's called us to go and do the work that he's called to do. And so Satan has one mission amongst all of his little pinion, peons, minions, whatever, whatever, the ugliest word you can, imps, imps is a good one. And demons, he say, okay, we have a mission. Stop the work of God at whatever cost. 
And so what does he do if he has a pastor? And this, man, I, I remember being in a service, and um, man, I think it was Kenya, Kenya or Botswana, one of them, and a satanic high priestess was completely delivered and set free. And they interviewed her and said, tell us a little bit about your role. And she was over the particular geogra- or geography area there, the, the nation, so to speak. And she said, there's one over nations, and there's one over towns, there's one over churches, and they're assigned to every individual. And they said, what they do with pastors, and it, it, it doesn't scare me, but I know it's a serious thing, is that if they cannot attack me, guess who they're going after? My wife. And then they go after who? My kids. Because if they can get the individual that has been called to just stop what he's doing, to say, mercy, 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 stop. That's how he distracts us. But every single one of us, he's trying to stop the work of God that God has called you to do. And that's why for, it's almost 18 months now of just calling you up and saying, guys, you have ministries and giftings inside every single one of you that God is calling you up. You're discovering who you are and who God is for you that when you leave these doors, we didn't just do church. We now and go and be the church and he's called you to do something outside these walls to impact people wherever you go. And Satan goes, I'll be meeting them in the car when they get out there. And he's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to intimidate you. He's going to try to keep you from ever doing what God has called you to do. And so what happens is we all retreat into the comforting four walls of a church building. And we now just start to use our gifts where? In here. When our gifts are meant to be used where? Out there. And it's because he's coming to what? Hinder the work that God is trying to do. And that's why it's extremely important for all of us to obey what the Lord is asking us to do. When he says... Pray for that waitress. That's his work that he wants you to do. You're there for a reason. Go pray for her because I'm going to do something inside of her life. It's part of the journey that I have her on. Please be that part. Obey. Or to share this with that person. Or to be praying for somebody. I know some of the prayer ladies, Judy, wakes up early in the morning at times because she can't sleep. And the Lord says, be praying for this person. It's obedience that God is saying, okay, I want, we all play our part in the work that God has called us to do. Are you following me? Let's say, look at 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but who hindered us? Now, I, I don't want us to get discouraged when he hinders. He hinders time and time again, but it does not say he stopped us. He can't stop those who just refuse to give in to what he's done. He will hinder. He will throw obstacles along the way. Uh, Chloe's learning how to drive, and so she took me and Sarah on a little joyride last night. And uh, I just pictured if I had the chance to, like, throw balls in front of the car and have a little kid run across and just see how she would do with some obstacles that would hinder her ability to drive. But at the end of the day, we are called to do God's work. And what's Satan going to do? Hinder them, stop them at whatever cost from doing what God called them to do. And it says that Paul clearly said, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, wanted to come, but Satan hindered us. 2 Corinthians 2.11, look at these verse, this verse. Now this is talking, this is uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church and he said, guys, you have somebody in your midst who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. Like deal with it, like no longer turn your eye to it, like this is, 
this is heavy-duty business. Like, somebody deal with it. Then they dealt very harshly with it. They no longer let the guy even part of the community anymore. They couldn't forgive him. So he's writing this about forgiveness, and then he comes to this thing. He says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, which tells me this. So as I'm reading the Bible and I look at this word, what stands out to me is certain words. If he says, lest Satan should take advantage of, that means that Satan is taking advantage of what? People. He has the ability to deceive me and bring me to a place where he now has an advantage over me in this life. When God has given me a place, he has what? Raised me up in who? Christ Jesus in heavenly places. I have all the advantage I ever need against the enemy. So Satan has to get me off of this place so he can get me to a place where he now has advantage over me, which is what? I'm living in the realm of feeling and I'm living in the realm of what people have done to me. Now the enemy goes, okay, we can play a game here. This is going to be fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin this person's life by simply what they've gone through. I'm going to discredit the goodness of God. I'm going to now accuse people that they loved and that loved them, and I'm going to start to cause divisions among as many people as I can. He's crafty at what he does. And it says, for we are not what? So again, when I'm looking at the Bible, I realize the flip side is true. It is possible for some of us, myself included, to be what? Ignorant of his devices. And many of us are battling and fighting God and saying, God, I need this. And the Lord goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Turn around and fight. This is not between us, Justin. This has nothing to do about what I'm doing. I've given you everything you need. Now go fight the enemy rather than come to me Turn your back on the enemy because all of the uh, armor of God is where? It's on the front. And we spend so much of our time pleading with God. And it's like the enemy's like, I got them. Holy cow. And he's just throwing all his what? His darts and his spears that it talks about and just nailing us left and right because we're not fighting. We're going to God. Are, are, you, are you following me so far? This is important because sometimes, and we're going to see it in a moment, there is a time for this and a time for this. And then there's a time for this, where you actually start using a sword, and you don't go, God, can you use the sword against them? He says, no, no, I gave you the sword of the Spirit, and I gave you the shield of faith. Start use, using it against them. So that word devices, I want you to listen to these, this word. It refers to an orderly, logical, an effective arrangement of steps followed in order to achieve an end. So we are not ignorant of his what? His devices, which is an orderly, logical, a step of getting toward an end, a planning or system with a goal. So the enemy has a mission. And what is that mission? To hinder God's work. But he has to be able to do that by what? Hindering us. He has to get us. So he has another task that he is trying to get all of us from this place to this place. It's, it's schematic. It is something that's very effective. He knows us very, very well. He knows your vulnerabilities. He knows your weaknesses. And now he is on full attack to say, get them to no longer believe that. And so what happens? He stirs up some chaos in your life, and you look at it, and then what does he do? How could God allow this to happen to you? And then you start to go, how could God allow that to happen to 
me. And now I'm no longer embracing the goodness of God. I'm now questioning it because I was ignorant of his what? Devices. It was a well-planned out strategy of getting Justin off the place of faith into the place of questioning so now he could take advantage or have what? Advantage over me. And now when I'm not believing, he is now the upper hand in our fight. Are you following me? Yeah? Anybody? Good. All right. So Saint has devised a plan. His devices to what? Hinder all of us from one thing, relating to God. He's going to do it in two ways. He's going to entice you with sin. Hey, this is really pleasurable. You really, really will enjoy it. It'll ruin your life. But you'll really, really, really enjoy it. And adultery, stealing, committing, whatever, these kind of things, what happens is he allured them with sin. But some people are a little bit better than that. And they're not going to be moved by sin, so what did he say? Hey, I got a functional way of relating with God. Because both lead to the same end, guilt, shame, and condemnation. So he invites you to religion or he invites you to a life of sin. Some say no to that and they get invited to a functional way of relating God, which means this, they are transacting with God. God, if I do this, then you will what? You'll do this? Oh God, if I pray more, what will you do for me? God, if I serve you, will you do this? God, if I go to church every single Sunday, what will you do for my business? God, if, what will you do if you save my marriage? God, I will live for you the rest of my life. And now we're transacting with God. And then when something happens to us, and it happened to Mike Zakovic just the other day, he was driving along the highway and his tire went out. The first thoughts that came to his mind that he shared with us at the men's group was, God, are you punishing me? Now, he said that, but guess what? There is a device, a carefully well-planned out, if this happens, God must be punishing me. God, are you punishing? And quickly he realized, oh, that's stupid. That's not, what, what is that? That's not God punishing me. It happens to the good. It happens to the not so good. It happens to the faithful and it happens to the not so faithful. You know what I'm saying? So it's not a matter of whether God's punishing you or not. It's just a matter of what are you going to do when you have a flat tire? I don't know. Sing on the side of the road. Amazing grace. I don't know. Do whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, don't buy into these devices and these tactics that the enemy is trying to invite you into because he wants to hinder your ability to relate to a God. Because if you cannot be intimate with God, how are you going to spread the goodness of God and the love of God and introduce people to a God that you know is disappointed in you, but maybe you'll have a better chance at it, but it's pretty hard because you have to live a very, very good life, and when you don't, you're going to feel really, really crappy about how you are as a Christian. But go to church because they will teach you how to be a better Christian, and they will teach you how to function. They'll show you how to do this and how to be kind and how to be nice, and we just embrace religion and function, and ultimately, at the end of the day, it either leads to pride or it leads to condemnation. And we start to compare ourselves with one another. We start to go, man, that guy's on fire for God. Oh, that person's not on fire for God. Oh, they know how to worship God. Oh, they don't know how to worship God. Oh, I haven't seen them in two weeks. Oh, I've seen them every single week. They must be faithful. And we don't understand that this is not about that at all. And so he entices us with sin because that's going to lead to a place of condemnation and guilt and shame. And he entices us with function. And that's going to lead us back to a place of shame, guilt, and condemnation. So why... 
and how does he do what he does? Okay, I'm going to do my best for you guys to follow what I'm about to, to share with you because in my mind, it, it makes connections, but sometimes that's not the case when you communicate. Romans 6.14, I'm going I'm to take you through four quick passages. It says, for sin shall not what? For you are not under, you are under, you're not under, you are under. Okay, so sin does not have dominion over the person who is under what? Yeah. But don't we love to resurrect rules and standards and, and laws inside our life to what? Keep us from sinning. So when I say the enemy offers you with sin or he offers you with function, I want you to see his goal. He knows those who are under grace no longer are under what? The dominion of sin. So I want to make sure they do not stay under grace. Where is he leading us to? Back to a law. Are you following me so far? Please, please hear my heart in this. This, is, this could set many of you free because the enemy is crafty. He has a plan not to get you to a bar. Guys, he's not trying to get you to those places if, you, if he doesn't have the ability to get you to those places of sin and those places of, per, of personal pleasure. But if he can't get you there, where is he leading you to? Back to a place of functional Christianity. Back to a place where you're going back to religion and now it's transacting with God because he knows if he can get you under the law, he'll get you back in dominion of sin. Now look at the next verse. The sting of death is what? And where does the strength of sin come from? <laughs> so if he can introduce you to replace the cross and put up a ladder and you start working up your ladder like, man, this is how I become a better Christian, he got you what? Now sin now is getting stronger and stronger and stronger in taking over your life in many ways that you don't know, how am I not overcoming this? God, what do I need to do to overcome this sin? Get back under grace. My empowering presence to transform your life where you don't earn it, you just receive it. And then look at, for Christ is the... Now, when you see all these verses, I highly encourage, read the ones before, read the ones after, so you get a good understanding of this, but for the sake of time, you just can't put all those passages up there. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to who so the enemy is going to get us off of a place of what believing and get us back into a place where justin the pressure is back on you and i carry this pressurized backpack of going god i, I can do this god i'm going to be more passionate and more committed to you god i'm going to love you oh god oh i love you so much oh god i'm going to serve you all the days of my life and we wait and we're weighed down with this backpack and God going, okay, give me the pack. And he takes it and he throws it away. He said, I've done away with that. Here's my righteousness. Now get under grace. And you start being able to walk with the Lord because the pressure is no longer this. The pressure is now to resist this. So far are you following me? Now look at this next passage. Um, I think I put that up there. Galatians 5. I'm going to try to go through this one quick because I, I just added it. He said, let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and what? Stubbornly refuse to go back. Why? Because the enemy is trying to lure you 
And why is it so alluring? Because it feeds our ego. It makes us have the ability to measure our relationship with God, and we all love to measure it. It's hard under grace to measure how good you're doing as a Christian. It's hard to compare yourself to other people when they're under the same grace that you are, but they don't act just like you do. And so how do I compare myself with you? How do I measure my life with Christ if I'm under grace and not under a law that I can look at and go, check, 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 check. And so the enemy is luring us, and he's like, stubbornly refuse. Don't go back there. It's alluring. It will make you feel better for a moment. It will make you feel like you're pious and that you're holy and that you're becoming everything God wants you to become, but stubbornly refuse to go back to the bondage of our past. Now, he is speaking to the Jewish people here who are going to go back to what? Circumcision. This is how we know we're the people of God. So he goes on to say this. I, Paul, tell you, if you think there's a benefit in circumcision, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe the benefit was I go to church every single week. Maybe that was where you felt like, man, I'm a good Christian, or I read my Bible every single day. Those are all good things if they're not trying to get you somewhere. They're trying to get you to discover who God is for you. Are you following me? When it's a relational-based understanding, then it changes your life. When it's a functional way of just trying to transact with God, he's saying, tell me what benefit there is in circumcision and Jewish regulations. Then you're acting as though Jesus, the anointed one, that he's not enough for you. You're saying, hey, if you really think you have to go back and be circumcised, you're missing something important. Jesus is enough. He satisfied it all. Now look at verse number three. I say it again emphatically. If you let yourselves be circumcised, you are now obliged to fill every single one of the commandments and regulations of the law. So he's saying, if you want to go there, you can. But if you go there, you're now putting the obligation back on yourself to fulfill all of it. And if you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligations of the law, you have cut yourself off more than your flesh. You have cut yourselves off from the anointed one, and you have fallen away from what? The revelation of grace, verse 5 and 6. But the Holy Spirit convinces us that we have what? Received. It's the hardest thing for all of us to do. Why? Because it's harder to even receive from somebody Hey. I can receive a $50 Christmas gift. Why? Because I gave them a $51 Christmas gift. And so we want to receive what we feel like, you know what, I'm entitled to this because I'm their son or I'm their, their, their spouse or, you know what, I've been good to them over the years and I'm receiving something. No, you didn't, re- you didn't earn anything. You didn't deserve anything from God. And he says, here's everything. And he says, receive it. And we feel very uncomfortable. And so some of us go, you know what, I'm not worthy. Others go, I'm going to prove that I'm worthy of what I received. And he goes, you don't have to. Just enjoy it and let it change your life. Enjoy what I've given to you. And it says, the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. When you're placed into the anointed one and joined to him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Let's just skip over that. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated And brought the perfection by love. So now what? What is our plan? Look at James 4, 7. I'm going to close very soon so I can let these two gentlemen speak. Therefore what? Okay, this is is very important for all of us. Submit to who? And what? And he will. 
It did not say submit to God and the enemy is going to flee. I want you to see the ending of this. He will, yep. There's certain areas in your life where he has convinced you, I will never stop bothering you about this. You will never be free in this area. I will always keep on coming after you. Oh, no, you won't. I know if I resist you, you're going to, yep. Because he doesn't have unlimited resources to bother us with something. He's lying to you. If he says he will forever torment you with this, for sure he's lying. He's just trying to trick you into believing his lie that I will forever, you will forever be dealing with that illness. You will forever be stuck at that position. You will forever be dealing with this problem. You will forever be going through this. Why? Because I'm going to see today. No, no. If I learn how to resist you, I know that you're going to flee. And I have to submit to God. In 1 Peter 5, I know there's a lot of passages. I hope you're making the connection. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, there's an adversary that's against us. He hates your guts. He hates what God's doing inside this earth. And he hates the fact that you want to partner with God and do something for the kingdom of God. So you better believe the moment. I know a lot of people who said, man, I started to serve God, and guess what happened? All hell started to break loose inside their life. And they started to question who? God. Why, God? I started to serve you. Now why is this happening? She's not with us today, I don't think, Nancy. She's been coming here for five weeks, and she said, man, the moment I made a commitment to start coming back to the things of God, this happened, and, and these are drastic. Her daughter got majorly sick. Her other daughter got majorly, I mean, it was just drastic diagnoses that no mom would ever want to hear, all because of one thing. She started to put some pressure in advancing the kingdom of God. And you know what happens when he pushes back? We're like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll, I'll sit down, I'll sit down. And we sit down, and we let him what? We let him win. And it says, be sober. The enemy devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may. He's out to finish it, guys. He's out to destroy you from ever serving the will of God inside your life. And it says these words. What are we to do? And then what? Okay, I want you to get the picture because this is the picture that we have of resisting. We have the picture of, well, I do. So now you guys do. You have the picture of resisting and, and it's like Wonder Woman or whatever it is where you know, somebody's pushing against the power or endgame or whatever it is and, and you're just resisting and you can barely take it and you're, and you're struggling. And I want you to realize there's a resisting where you're fine and Christ almost is in between taking the brunt of it. And you're just standing your ground, what? Standing and I believe that what Christ did for me is true. And there's a place of resisting, but also resting while you resist. I don't know how to best communicate it. All I know is I pray dearly for all of you. God, help them to understand how to rest while they're fighting. It doesn't make any sense, but it's the kingdom way. When Jesus was told bad news, Lazarus is what? What did he do? Two days. When the guy came up to the, the, the rich person or the rich ruler or the, the, the ruler who came up to him and said, my daughter's almost dying, and the person came up and said, don't bother your master anymore. Your daughter is, what did Jesus say? Oh, that, 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 that means nothing. Don't believe or only believe. Don't be afraid. Let's go. She's not dead. She's living. 
when he was on the boat sleeping and the waves were crashing and the disciples experienced an immense amount of fear and they said, Master, Master, wake up, we are perishing. He, know, he knew how to rest in the midst of whatever it is that he faced off with. Nothing moved him. Why? Because he learned how to fight. Even the enemy in the wilderness, when he was hungry as a human and he desperately wanted to have whatever it is that he was going through, I'm sure he was probably hallucinating at times as a human brain does without 40 days of food. And, and what happens is the enemy started to introduce him and say, uh, how about you turn that, that rock into a piece of bread? How about you have all of this if you just throw yourself down and serve me? And so resisting is our responsibility. It's not God's. But it's not from a place of defeat, but from a place of being what? An overcomer. It's a place of rest. And the key to resisting is to learn to rest when the enemy comes knocking on our door. I'm only halfway there, but I want to stop there. And I want to just give you a picture that there is a place where many of us have stopped resisting. We just simply have gone with the flow of where life has brought us, not realizing, whoa, whoa, no, you guys can stay down here. We're not even close to that, sorry. Where, where there's no longer resisting, we're just simply what? Accepting. Well, if I'm going through this, this must be what? God's, his plan or his will. And guys, I'm telling you, you submit to God, but you are to resist the enemy steadfast in the faith. Mike, would you come up?